Hello, is anybody here? You don't have to be afraid. I'm just here to talk with you. I am a seasoned paranormal investigator with a growing resume. I began investigating the paranormal when I was 16 years old, where I learned the tricks of the trade from a dear friend of mine. Since then, I've been a paranormal tour guide at the Ohio State Reformatory, have been on paranormal teams where I have investigated private homes, and have given presentations on real-life ghost busting. Now, I'm on a quest to explore all realms of the paranormal through expert interviews. I'm Sydney Miller, and this is Not Afraid. The Old Arnold Estate, located in Harrisville, Rhode Island, is an authentic colonial home circa 1736, whose paranormal phenomenon were made famous by the Conjuring movie in 2013, depicting the hauntings of the parent family that lived there in the 1970s. Its paranormal past runs deep, as far back as the 1700s, when the spirits of Native tribes remained embedded in the land up through the present day, with many spirits who continue to inhabit and visit the property. This mystical farmhouse offers visitors an opportunity to engage with authentic paranormal activity and is considered one of the most active paranormal locations in the world. Set on eight and a half acres surrounded by stone walls, open fields, a river, and a forest, visitors come from around the world to observe and connect with the energy here that Andrea Perrin describes as, quote, a portal cleverly disguised as a farmhouse, end quote. Since opening to the public in 2019, thousands of visitors have witnessed and engaged with the abundance of supernatural activity present here. For anyone longing to connect with the other side of existence, this is the place to do it. The Conjuring House is a historical treasure with pastoral beauty, providing those who are curious with an experience they will never forget. For some, an experience here can provide the key to understanding that our consciousness survives death and that we can connect with those who have passed before us. The Conjuring House land precedes its colonial records by thousands of years, while it was occupied by the Nitmuk and other local tribes prior to Roger Williams purchasing the land as part of the establishment of the colony of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations. Having been expelled from the Massachusetts Bay Colony for espousing freedom of religious worship and separation of church and state, Roger Williams established Providence Plantations in 1636 in Narragansett, Rhode Island. In 1639, Gloucester, now Burrowville, Rhode Island, became part of Providence Plantations, including this estate deeded to the Richardson family. The land was deeded in 1680 and was surveyed by John Smith, one of the original Virginia colonists. Roger Williams believed that the best way to preserve the land was to deed large parcels to those who chose to follow him and his teachings. He did so to protect it from a rather overt encroachment from Connecticut and Massachusetts. The original estate deeded to the Richardsons was more than a thousand acres. It was subsequently sold off in parcels to families in the area, some who are still there hundreds of years later. Because women had no right to property at this time in history, their estate transferred through marriage from the first colonists, the Richardson family, to the Arnold family. From the Arnold family, it transferred to the Butterworths and then to the Kenyans before being purchased by the Perrins in the 1970s. In 1980, the Schwartz family purchased the property and sold it to Norma Sutcliffe in 1987, 
Corey and Jen Heinzen purchased the property in 2019 from Norma and launched the business to allow investigations and day tours. In May of 2022, Jacqueline Nunez purchased the property and is continuing and growing the business. The house as it now stands was completed in 1736, 40 years before the signing of the Declaration of Independence. This magnificent homestead has survived countless storms, King Philip's War, the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, and the unbridled growth of the Industrial Age in America. The house is a testament to the need to preserve history. Eight generations of one extended family had lived and died in it, and apparently some of them never left, or visited with some frequency. History has a story to tell. We will never know all of it, some of it which has been lost to the annals of time. But one thing is certain, there are few places like it which remain intact, and it deserves reverence for the national treasure that it is. This past August, my husband and I traveled to Burrowville, Rhode Island, to investigate and stay the night at the Conjuring House. This was definitely a bucket list item of mine, and it certainly didn't disappoint. So I'm kicking off season three with a two-part episode on the notorious Conjuring House. In part one, I will sit down with the current owner of the Conjuring House and get the inside scoop. And in part two, my husband will join me as we discuss our personal experiences from that night. Tonight, I sit down with Jacqueline Nunez, who is the current owner of The Conjuring House. Since childhood, Jacqueline has had an avid interest in the metaphysical. Her numerous spiritual encounters throughout her adult life have convinced her that we are conscious beings having a human experience. Purchasing The Conjuring House enables her to bring her spiritualist beliefs and business skill sets full circle to build a business that enables guests to experience authentic paranormal activity in a myriad of ways. Um, as you know, my husband and I were just there in yeah. August uh -huh. um, at the Conjuring House and had a good time. So I'm actually going to do a two-part episode in the second part. Uh, so yours is going to be released on Halloween. Okay. And then in the second part, he and I are going to sit down and talk about our personal experiences that we had at the Conjuring House that night. Yeah, I know. Well, are you going to talk about them at all here on the podcast? Yeah. Do I get to hear any of it? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get into a little bit of it. Um, okay. Not revealing the whole thing. Absolutely. All right. So when did your interest in the paranormal start? You know, it, actually my interest in the paranormal, I'm new to the paranormal, but I'm not new at all to spirituality. I'm a, I'm a spiritualist. I'm a member of a spiritualist church up here in the Massachusetts area. And I've been a very spiritual person for all of my adult life. And to me, it's kind of one and the same thing. It's just called something different, right? I mean, I've always believed that, you know, we continue on after death. I believe that we are conscious beings having a human experience. So, of course, when The Conjuring House came on the market, it just felt like it was right up the alley of what I'm passionate about, what I believe, what interests me. But the actual paranormal side of it itself, like I had never been on a ghost hunt before, right before I bought the house, I had never done any paranormal stuff. Although, like I said, I have years and years of spiritual stuff and experiences, you know, throughout my adult life. So. You believed in it, but you didn't really, it wasn't your hobby until you bought the house. Yeah, Um no. And, you know, I had had many experiences with very good mediums. So um, the fact that we survive after death had already been confirmed for me. 
in many different ways throughout my adult life, but it certainly has been cool to write, like to be in front of a voice, like, you know, a spirit box and hear voices giving you intelligent responses. Um, I mean, that's, it's been really fun. I, I just love it, so. Cool, really cool. Um, so what was your first paranormal experience that you had that um, you would consider? My first paranormal experience that I've had at, at the house? In general, maybe it could have been at the house or it could have been elsewhere. Yeah, so I owned, I owned another house for a period of time and there were tenants living there. And one night I got this phone call that they absolutely had to come talk to me that there were uh, spirits and ghosts in the house. This woman was clearly sensitive and they were touching her. They were talking to her. They were trying to give her, give me messages through her. I a friend of mine also lived there and had doors banging and um, apparitions appearing. So I have, so I have a little bit of experience with that with another house that I owned. Um, so that was my first into to like real paranormal activity. Um, my first paranormal activity at the Conjuring House was I was with Ghost Hunts USA. I think it was my first weekend there. And we're up in the middle bedroom, if you can picture the middle bedroom, yeah. right where Oliver Richardson is and uh, where the little children play. And of course they had their devices all set up everywhere and talking through the spirit box. And suddenly we heard very, very loud footsteps coming up one of the staircases. And it was truly incredible because there was no one in the house. It was a spirit coming up the stairs. And then when uh, the spirit got to the top of the stairs, all of the devices, of course, just like went crazy. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, we don't know, we don't know who it was but um, he or she definitely made their presence known. So that was my first, first experience with the house. And you said you weren't from, you mentioned you're in Massachusetts. Is yeah. that where you're from? Yeah, that's where I live. I live in the Boston area so, and I'm only about an hour from the Conjuring House. So I'm not okay. very familiar. So what was your attraction? Was it just simply the Conjuring House or did you have, were you yeah. looking for something in Rhode Island or? Yeah, well, I, you know, I grew up, my family, we loved horror movies. I mean, we would, <laughs> our idea of a great Christmas morning, we were all home, was to sit around, turn off all the lights, lower all the shades and watch horror movies all day. I mean, so I'm from that genre, right? I really like the horror genre. So, and of course, when I had seen the Conjuring movie, when it came out, it blew me away. Like, I think it blew a lot of people away. Yeah. Um, and so when I saw that it was on the market, it was, you know, it was, it was a leisurely Saturday morning. I'm sitting on my couch drinking coffee. And I always look at Google trending to yes. see like what's going on. And it said the Conjuring house on the market. And I'm like, the heck is this so I click on it I realize it's only an hour away and so by that next Monday on like I think I looked at it on September 27th I already had an appointment set up I had I was going to attend one of the tours so it happened quickly that I that I was able to get in to see it and the minute I walked on the property I knew I mean I just knew that I had to buy it I mean I just loved it immediately 
that was pretty easy. There weren't a lot of people competing with you to try and a buy the lot. house. There were multiple, there were. multiple offers and they didn't, and I wasn't even the highest one. They turned down a couple of offers that, that were higher. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, they really wanted someone. Um, and just to kind of backtrack, I clicked with Corey Heinzen right away. We immediately like were in the same mindset when I met him. So we clicked right away. And it was very important to them that they find someone that wanted to continue to run and grow the business. I think that they had a few offers from people that just wanted to either put it to a different use or tear down the house and build eight single family homes or because it's eight and a half acres. Yeah. So, so it was important to them that whoever bought it kept and would continue to grow the business. And of course, I immediately wanted them to remain involved. I said, there'll be a place for you, you know, and, and they still are. Madison Works is on staff. Madison Heinzen's on staff. Jen Heinzen is on staff. She helps me with a lot of stuff. And once in a while, Corey comes down and we'll take a rotation for staffing. So, so they're still involved. Wow. Well, that's awesome that they were able to give it to somebody who had good intentions for the home. Cause that would be hor a horrible thing. And not only American history, but obviously paranormal history to have lost the conjuring house. Yeah, no, I really believe that it's, um, it deserves to be accessible to the public. Yeah. Uh, and even without the paranormal, the rich colonial history, the fact that this estate predates our country by a hundred years is pretty incredible. So yeah. The colonial history is rich and um and in and of itself is is a historic treasure but i mean add the whole paranormal piece and like i said the public absolutely deserves access to it right absolutely so the conjuring house then is not your primary residence no and it was a condition when the sellers sold it that um that whoever buys it does not live there full time so which works out for me. The energy is very powerful there. I, I mean, I find, you know, two weeks is probably the maximum amount that anyone should be there full time because you really start to feel how the energy impacts you. Oh, interesting. Yeah, into like the 10th or 11th day. It's, it, it, you can just, you can feel it. It isn't, it isn't evil or scary. It's more yeah. heavy and draining. Oh, strange. Yeah. So, and of course, you know, whenever I get home, I'm sure it's the same for like, I mean, I just sleep, I just crash. And all my pets, whenever I get them back home to Boston, I mean, they just sleep for 16, 18 hours straight. They're so exhausted. Um, but, but again, it's not an evil thing. It's just, yeah, energy is powerful. That's interesting. I had not heard that before. So yeah. about two weeks is the maximum before you really start to feel that. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do you said you take your pets there and they get tired? Do they have any other experiences? Because, of, of course, pets supposedly are more sensitive to that stuff. Do your pets react? Yeah. I mean, I've had my at first, my dog was did not want to come in the house. OK. And I mean, she still prefers to be outside, but she's has stranger danger anyway. So um but she does prefer to be outside. But when she's in the house, she doesn't act weird. For a while, well, I shouldn't say that. For a while, she was like, would not go upstairs. 
Uh, um, it took her a long time to come upstairs. She acted afraid whenever I tried to get her to come upstairs. And my cats, uh, I've had one cat, one of my cats has reacted like it's been freaked out a couple of times, but just a couple of times. There is a ghost cat in the house. And at times people have felt it rub up against them. I have felt it rub up against my legs. So I don't know if my cat freaked out because it saw the ghost cat. I have no idea. <laughs> but there were two times when one of my cats just flipped out and went like, you know how they get all puffy and big? Yeah. And he just went like tearing to the other side of the house. So I don't know what happened. That's great. And any background on why where the ghost cat came from whose cat it was no idea but that would be a great thing to try and find out right there's so much to learn about this house so no no idea uh, someone told me that it is a tuxedo cat so i was able to get that much information a black and white cat so but i don't know it's interesting that it's always a cat i hear a lot of stories about ghost cats but i never hear stories about like ghost dogs or yeah i don't know what that else. is i wonder why <laughs> yeah i don't know that's just strange everybody has a ghost cat <laughs> um so what is it like owning one of what most people would consider the most haunted places in america yeah oh it's really um it's really cool and fun and um i have met just in the short time three months or going on four months now that I've owned it. I have met the, the best people. The, the guests are amazing. Everyone um, is so nice. And, you know, and of course we're all interested in the paranormal, but I often meet guests and I think to myself, Oh man, like I could hang out with them and I could hang out with them. <laughs> like, they're just really cool people. And everyone so far has been very respectful of the house, which, which I very much appreciate. Um, and the house is active. We've been getting a lot of activity. We're getting a lot of, even on our, our day tours, we're getting a lot of activity. People are reporting, being touched, hearing voices. Um, yeah, so it's been, it's been pretty cool. That's interesting because I used to work at a um, historic site here in Ohio where I'm from. And uh, I work daytime and night times. And I would say that I probably had as much experiences during the day that I did at night. And most people wouldn't think that that was the case. But I mean, they're spirits. They're there. They're not just there when the lights go out. That's right. They're there all the time and they don't have any sense of night or day or time or right. So they'll, right. you know, but I think people like that, that element of, um, more apprehension or fear that comes with nightfall yeah. and also at times you know it can be a little bit more quiet at night so i don't know but um but i agree with you that spirits are spirits are pretty much there all the time Does so you were mentioning earlier about some of the spirits that were up in the middle bedroom who are some of the named spirits that are at the house the ones that you've identified you can maybe track a name to or maybe know where they came from and why they're there yeah, that, no, that's, that is a great question. And, and what is interesting is that different spirits will come to interact with different guests. Okay. So like, for example, there's a woman, she lives in New York. She's been to the house many, many times. 
and she comes and a woman named Emily always comes through kind of a younger like teenage girl comes through to talk to her who was apparently a housekeeper at, for the house at one point. I haven't yet met Emily. Um, uh, Abigail Arnold has come through. She would, um, she's a Mrs. John Arnold. She has come through uh, a few times. In fact, she showed us recently outside. She asked me to plant two pear trees. And so she showed, she showed us outside where, where we are supposed to plant these pear trees. It's like, it's just amazing, the, the, stuff, the stuff that we're getting. So Abigail Arnold, she died when she was 93. She didn't die in the house, uh, but she gave birth to, I think, 12 children while she lived there. So there's Abigail Arnold, there's John Arnold, there is... Um, you know, some people have said that they've talked to Bathsheba, which I never have. And I think, you know, Bathsheba doesn't really have any association with the house. Um, there is a gentleman named Matthew who never lived at the house. He saw a light and followed it and he ended up at the house and now he likes it. So he stays and he has a buddy named Jonathan that he hangs out with who also ne never lived at the house but they come and visit. And one of them is from the 1700s and Matthew's from the 1800s. So I think that's kind of um, funny that, you know, that these two people are the two spirits are, are hanging out together. And then Oliver Richardson is one of the children that is part, that was part of the Perrin story. Um, April Perrin would play with little Oliver Richardson up in the middle bedroom and would play with her toys. And he is still very much there. We've have his, his voice captured saying things like find me or come play with me. So um, yeah, he's still around. He's still around and engaging with guests. So you've got the whole gambit. It's the whole gambit. And like I said, it really different people attract and will interact with different spirits because we believe that there are residents that are like, um, spirits that are more in residence there, like they're more permanent, mm -hmm. but they're not trapped there. They, they are there on their own free will. And then we have spirits that just kind of pass through and visit. Okay. And, um, so it's both really. That's so I think that's why we get so many different spirits interacting with different guests. And there's, if I'm not mistaken, I was told there is a cemetery out like a mile in the woods from the house. Do you think any of them come from that cemetery? I'm not, I'm not sure. It's, yeah, that's about a mile. It's not, that particular burial ground is not affiliated with the house. It's just kind of close by. There is an Arnold burial plot. Um, that is a little bit further away I, that I went to recently, and a lot of the owners are buried there. Edwin Arnold, John Arnold, Abigail Arnold is there. So that's more the burial ground where a lot of the owners are. There are also a couple of owners um, that are just a little further up um, on Round Top Road, so, so they're around. And then Norma Sutcliffe, one of the owners, she has, did you see the, uh, the Beloved Pets headstone when you were there? Uh, no, I didn't go to that one. I only went to Bathsheba, where Bathsheba was buried at. Okay, because we have some pets that are buried on the property, and there's a headstone that says Beloved Pets that I think was put there by Norma Sutcliffe. So, 
much. Yeah. Maybe that's where the ghost cat came from. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so would you say the activity there is more residual or more intelligent or a mixture of the two? Um, it's it's a mixture of the two. A lot of it is a lot of it is intelligent because they are engaging and answering questions and whether it's through um, you know, a spirit box or an EVP or dowsing rods or uh, or REM pods, you know, or lights that they blink once for yes, two for no. Uh, a lot of the activity is 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 interactive. Yeah, I, I couldn't quite figure it out because it seemed to respond uh, with devices and I saw other people using it and that we used a little bit, but they also kept dimming the lights. Yeah, is that right? <laughs> out of nowhere. And I couldn't tell if that was a way of getting our attention or trying to answer a question, but it was just, you'd be sitting there and then it was almost dark out of nowhere. Then you turn the lights back up and then a few minutes later, the lights <laughs> dim back down. <laughs> yes, that happens sometimes. So yeah, that was, it, it was just an interesting, not an experience people would have thought much of, but yeah. When you're sitting there and you're doing all these other things and nothing's happening and then the room next door to you, nobody's in, and then it just goes almost dark on you and you're like, what, what is going on here? Right. It was interesting. So what are some of your most notable or some of your favorite personal experiences that you've had in the house or that other people have shared with you that they've had in the house? Yeah, uh, there have been some pretty impressive photographs that have been shared. We've had some people in the last six weeks capture apparitions in a certain area of the basement. And, um, and in one of them, you can see like the out, you can see a figure of, of a human, you can see a head um, and then the rest of the apparitions. So there've been some really awesome photographs shared. We have captured, cause we have cameras video going 24 seven and we do that not because we're trying to like spy on our guests, but because we're trying to capture activity <laughs> yeah. that's going on in the house. And so we've captured in the last couple of months, a couple of um, really interesting, interesting video of, of activity. Um, most recently of a light orb that was moving through the basement, very profound and distinct light orb. So those, the evidence that is physical, it really excites me, right? Because it's, it's right there. It, it, it's hard to explain some of the physical evidence um, away. And of course, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that goes on that is not paranormal, right? I mean, not everything that happens there is paranormal. Sometimes the door closes by itself because, you know, it's not level or the floors are, you know what I mean? So not everything that happens there is paranormal, but, um, but like I said, when we capture physical evidence, that's really fun. Uh, any evidence posted anywhere? Just out of curiosity, is there anything on YouTube or photos or anything? Yeah, no, uh, you know, I'm, I'm okay to talk about it, but no, honestly, we don't want to, we don't want to do that one because it's, one, we don't want to like, um, I don't know if brag is the right word or, you know, the purpose of the Conjuring House is for people to come and have an experience. Like to me, that is the, the most important thing that I can do is to provide opportunities in different ways for people to have an experience. And so I want people to, um, 
share their experience. I don't want to influence someone's experience or brag about what we're capturing or anything like that. So we, you know, like I said, at times we talk about it, but you won't see us posting a lot of our own evidence. We're leaving that to guests to, to define their own experience and have their own experience. That makes sense. And I, I get that question a lot too, because I go on, you know, paranormal investigations all over the place from time to time. And everybody always wants to, you know, see the photos, see the video footage. But the other thing about it is it's, it's one thing to capture it. And I know I was there and I know nobody was in that room. But as soon as you put that on YouTube or on Facebook or out on the internet, everybody's going to, you know, think you're a hoax and think yeah. that it's fake. And, you, you know, you got to go yeah. through all that criticism. And it's like, you weren't there. It's, it's just really hard to share an experience through video. Right. No, that's right. And, and also kind of goes back to the point that, you know, I would never, ever question anyone's experience, right? Someone's experience is their experience. And you're right. And it often can't be ex explained, but it was real and it happened and it isn't even necessarily related. You know, this, this can apply to life in general, right? Like um, it's not my place to judge or define or ridicule anyone's experience. And I'm happy for whatever experiences the people are having at the conjuring house. Cause that's exactly what we want to do. We believe that it is, and we know it's a very active location and guests are having some pretty profound experience for themselves which is awesome and i've actually found um i've actually stepped back from using the digital recorder quite a bit <laughs> that's okay um, <laughs> um because i first of all whoever reviews their audio recorder not me not very well um and i've also found that you know if, as long as i'm there and i'm experiencing it and i know that it was real then that's what counts. And I've had probably better experiences without getting evidence out of it than I was, you know, just standing in a room and something happened. And, yeah, you know, you don't always need the proof for, you know, something to take with you. Right. Now, how long have you been a paranormal investigator? Um, so really since I was 16, I'm 25, so almost 10 years. And obviously that was just at like cemeteries and stuff. So I, you know, most places you have to be 18 to go. Um, but then once I turned, I think it was 18 or 19 and I started working at the Ohio State Reformatory, uh, which is a pretty notorious place where I live. Mm -hmm. That's where they filmed the Shawshank Redemption and mm -hmm. um, all the TV shows and stuff that have been there. So I spent four years there. Um, and then I've done some other places around my local community and stuff investigating and then just all my time at the reformatory that's been my experiences and uh, i used to take go lead ghost tours you know people who were first timers and show them the equipment and stuff and give them tips and that's why i always tell them like don't get hung up on your equipment and just be there and experience it and take that with you you don't have to take a, an a picture of an apparition with you you don't have to take a video or an evp just take the experience with you mm -hmm. yeah that's great so uh, what sort of things go on outside the house, on the property? I know we spent a little bit of time outside. There was, I know, like a river or a creek and a, a yeah. bridge and some, some woods. You said there's eight and a half acres. So yeah. is there anything that goes on outside? Yeah. And in fact, when Ed and Lorraine Warren visited the parents back in the 70s, they determined that it was actually, it's the land that is, that is active. 
and I don't like to call it haunted. I like to say it's paranormally active. So it is, it is the land that is active and that's why the house is active. So there have been, there have been many things that have been uh, witnessed on the land. There's a, there's actually on YouTube, there's a, a recording of a, of a UFO video. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, it's uh, by uh, posted by Karen Tatro, and it, it's really pretty cool what this thing does in the sky over the Conjuring House. There have been um, multiple stories of from the parents to even a couple months ago guests of hearing children playing and giggling in the woods, and we believe that they are native. Uh, native tribe from a native tribe. So that story has been passed and been going on for, like I said, since the seventies when the parents experienced children playing in the woods. Um, so yes, and light orbs have been seen. Um, shadow figures have been seen. So so yeah, the, the land is, is, is as active. Interesting you bring up the kids thing because I did not know that um, we didn't have any experiences outside that night I know other people did yeah. but um, we we were doing the Estes method in the library yeah and um, we kept getting hinting at that there were two kids two separate kids who according to the Estes method and I'm not trying to say yeah. this is fact um, round in the river have you heard anything about anybody dying in the river? Yes, I have heard of children dying in the river and I've heard of Native, uh, Native Americans dying in the river or being murdered in the river. So yes, I have heard those stories. I didn't even know that, but my husband had the headphones on um, and you know he's listening to the spirit box and he's never done it before. He thought that was a super cool experience. Um, and I'm over there asking questions and then somebody else came in who was a medium and they were chatting back and forth, which was really interesting. And between what both of them were saying, we, we came to the conclusion that there were two young kids who had supposedly drowned in the river on the property, which was just- Did you get any names? Did not get any names that I can recall. I have to go back and listen. I don't think we got any names though. We kept asking and we kept asking, yeah. but um, I think they were boys. I think we did find that out. And then I think we got an age range. I want to say they were like 12, 10, 12 nine somewhere in there yeah what, what, what would be cool what i what i like to try and do is whenever we get some evidence at one point we were talking to abigail arnold and so i was sitting because i have the ancestry.com i've been trying to chase the the genealogy of who lived there and their children and she was giving us information and telling us the names of her children and the dates and years that they died and i was like confirming it real time on ancestry.com. <laughs> oh, wow. It was amazing. So when like you can confirm, cause I love history. Yeah. So I'm always trying to get, when we talk to the spirits, like I want information from them. Like, you know, what was your last name? Right. What, what year did you die? Like, how did you die? And so that I can try and verify it. And there've been a couple that we've really been able to verify that just have kind of blown us away, so. It's cool to be able to do that. Oh, for sure. And that's what we, I was hoping to do. So I was taking notes on a notepad while they were yeah. both spouting out at each other. But 
we don't, I don't recall us getting any names. I'll have to look again, but I, cause I know we kept asking, but then we just kept getting, you know, drowned in the river on the property and we might've well, gotten some maybe, years. Yeah. Maybe we'll follow up with that. So yeah. if we can get some more info, I'll let you know. Yeah. I would be interested to find out because then I kept asking everybody that night, like, you know, anything about this? And some people were saying, yeah, I've heard, you know, that there were rumors of people dying in the river or kids dying in the river. So it's interesting that that's at least not something brand new that (laughs) we just discovered that other people have had that no when there is a torrential rain that river becomes a very different river i mean it is it it can be dangerous and it can like sweep up over that footbridge so i can i can imagine a little kid getting caught up in some you know, raging rainstorm as the river is gushing towards, I can, I can imagine something like that happening there for sure. Cause it, it, um, it is dangerous when it, when it gets to that state, it doesn't happen very often, you know, like during the rainy season, but when it, when it happens, it, it, it's a little scary. Secluded and like if a kid was out there and an adult wasn't close by, I could see you know, them slipping under and nobody's there to yep, hear no them or see there. them. Or... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So. so that's interesting. So what do you think it would be the most bizarre experience you've heard somebody have at the Conjuring House? It's the, the most, most bizarre thing that's happened. Um, we've had, I mean, the photographs being captured. We had a, an incident on, um, on a day tour and the gentleman who visited, he was kind of a skeptic and, you know, he's kind of, I think he was expressing his skepticism and they were standing in the dining room and he got scratched on his forearm. So right before the tour started, he like came up to us and he's like, I'm not sure if I should say anything, but I got scratched, right, you know? And, um, and so I took a photo of it and then and he, he handled it well. And then he went on the tour and then he got scratched again down in the basement. And you could oh, see wow. the scratch marks up on his, like down his collarbone. And so he left a, a, a believer and <laughs> we heard from him and his wife again, they want to you know schedule an overnight investigation, but that was pretty wild that that happened. Yeah, I would say so. If that's yeah. what it takes, I guess, to be a believer. <laughs> yeah, But that's not typically something that happens, right? No, although, like I said, on day tours, people are being touched. Hair is being flipped or um, someone feels like some someone like rubbing their finger on their arm. Um, so that has happened a few times on day tours. And these are only hour-long day tours. They are They start at 11 in the morning and go till three. Well, we do have a video of a recent book flying off the library shelf during a day tour. You can see the two women kind of walking around the couch towards the library and and you hear a book get thrown and you see them get startled like, what the heck was that? And then the tour guide goes in and picks up the book and um, it was hilarious. It was more joy of sex 
that fell off the shelf. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. It was really, really funny. So the tour guide got a kick out of it. So she just put, put the book back and that was the end of it. But we caught that. We have that on video. Um, Yeah. So, so that, that was pretty cool, but probably the scratching I think has been, um, you know, pretty, that was, that was something else that happened. So I think that many people have sort of an expectation that the house is filled with some sort of dark and oppressive energy. Um, I'll say that when I was there and I was only there for a night, but I did not feel uncomfortable and I really expected to. I was not uncomfortable at all in the house. I've been into some creepier attics and basements and houses that were half the age and I did not feel that in the house. So how would you describe the feeling of the conjuring house? Yeah, I think um, one thing I think that the Conjuring House is, it's it's a mirror and an amplifier. What the beliefs and the attitudes and stuff that you come in with to the Conjuring House, it will, um, it will respond to that and it will return that in kind. So people that, you know, that are skeptic are going to like talk smack, then the house is going to respond accordingly, right? Um, People that come in and they like are at peace and um, filled with love and light, then they're going to they're going to receive that in their communication. So it really is a lot about who you are coming into the Conjuring House, your beliefs, expectations, and so forth. Um, but no, absolutely not. I do not believe that there is anything inherently evil at the house. I mean, we do know that there is one cranky malevolent spirit there is a malevolent spirit there and we just try not to give her attention because you know they feed off energy and so if you ignore her or not engage with her then she can't manifest as such i believe you know energy feeds off energy whatever you focus on is what you're going to get and so we just choose to try not to focus on that um but but no, we haven't. I mean, if if we really thought anyone could be harmed, you know, by coming there, then I mean, you know, would never be open to the public. So um, but some people maybe. also want that, right? Also, yeah. People <laughs> Zach want Baggins. That. They want to think that. They want to be terrified. They want to think that it's all demons and evil. You know, some people want that. Um, but it's not what the conjuring house is. If that no, makes it, sense. It wasn't. It does make sense because uh, like I said, I think I was kind of expecting that. And maybe that's just because there's a horror film based on it. Yeah. And yeah. it's just got that dark stigma to it. And, and it's creepy in the daytime. I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, but when the lights went out, I was more comfortable there than I am in my own house sometimes. It was not at all what I expected it to be. And I, I was impressed by that. You know, I was like, oh, you know. It uh, obviously there's activity going on, but it just felt very peaceful and quiet. Yeah, no, that's good. I'm glad that I'm glad that that's the experience that you had. No, I get often, you know, it's taken me a long time to get some of my closest friends to even come and visit. I'm like, you guys just come and visit. And then when they do, they're like, oh, this is actually very serene and peaceful. And I don't feel terrified at all. I'm like, see, that's what I told you. Like, it's not. It, that's not it's it's uh 
its energetic essence, if you will. It's just not. Um, okay, so just a couple couple questions left. But um, obviously, the Hollywood film isn't accurate because everybody tells you that and it's Hollywood, and that's what they do. But what parts of the story, to your knowledge, are true? Yes, good question. So definitely, Carolyn um, was terrorized in real life, albeit in some different ways. But she was terrorized. Uh, that is true. While she wasn't possessed in the basement and she never tried to kill her children, she did have a spirit attachment that lifted her up in her chair and threw her from the seance room into the parlor. That is true. Um, it is true that there was a little child that the youngest daughter played with in the movie. It was Rory in real life. His name was Oliver Richardson. Um, it is true that they had a dog that died at the farm, but it didn't die in the way that it was depicted in the movie. I believe it was hit by a car or something on Round Top Road. Um, let's see. What else? It is true that there was a lot of uh, um, conflict and disbelief by Roger um, at first and not wanting to believe that, that there was activity. Um, what It wasn't true actually after the Warrens did come to do an exorcism. Uh, that, is, that is true, but after Carolyn got picked up and thrown into the parlor, Ed, uh, Ed Warren and Roger Perrin got into an altercation and Roger punched him in the face and knocked out a tooth and kicked the Warrens out. So, um, so the relationship in real life between the Warrens and the Perrins uh, pretty much ended after that incident. They really never communicated with each other again after that. And the Warrens left the house that night, not even knowing if Carolyn was okay. Um, so those are those are some of the. So there there were definitely some truths. Certainly not true about Bathsheba. Bathsheba was never a witch. She never lived there. She didn't kill an infant by impaling it in the back of the neck, at least that we can find, right? There's no evidence of it. There was no inquest done. Um, so and that's kind of an unfortunate, well, if you saw Bathsheba's gravesite, uh, you know, some people have just destroyed it because of the story. So that's a, an unfortunate uh, consequence of the movie. I heard that, that that wasn't true at all, but she was a person, a real person that lived, what was it a few houses down? Yeah, about a mile and a half away. She okay. lived. Yeah, yes. She was a real person and she did. She did have two young children that died when they were young, but she was given a proper, respectable Christian burial at her time of death. So, yeah. And there, it's, it's also not true that that anyone hung themselves in the barn. There's been only one questionable death that we've been able to find in the records. So no one hung themselves in the barn. You don't think that Bathsheba has anything to do with one of the spirits on the property? Um, again, different people have communicated with Bathsheba. So it sounds like, well, I look at it this way. If you kept hearing someone calling your name, 
invoking your name, you'd probably want to go check out what's going on. And her name has been invoked so often. I'm sure she has now at times visited the house, according to a local medium who um, hosts events there that she's had, you know, she says she's had many conversations with Bathsheba. So, and again, it depends, but, but we haven't, I haven't. Um, that's an interesting theory. I mean, that makes sense. If if she was a person who is very relatively nearby and did live in the area and her spirit may or may not be around, but if she is around and like you said, everybody's calling her name, I mean, right. like, she'd what? be interested in like, right. why, why is everyone calling my name? <laughs> yeah. What do I have to do with this? <laughs> right. Right. So. So you've mentioned the daytime tours um, and you said they're about an hour. I think that's very interesting and very important that you do daytime tours because some people want to see it, but are maybe, you know, not ghost hunters or have any interest in being out at night for whatever reason. Um, What are those like and how can somebody schedule a tour? Yeah. So we just launched our new website and a new booking system. So we have the whole schedule of day tours um, yes, yeah, so, and we're getting a lot of people, one, that have never been to the house before, and that they're not necessarily paranormal investigators. I'm really trying to open the house up to expand beyond just paranormal investigators. Like we are now, we're also now hosting medium events where a talented medium will give a gallery reading to 12 participants and provide spirit messages from loved ones. We've had three of those events all sold out so far. So those have been nice. And again, that's attracting the more spiritual side of people, right? Not necessarily paranormal. So we have the gallery events. We have also five-hour investigations that we're we're offering. We call them GO events, G-H-O, GO investigations. And that's for people that maybe have never been ghost hunting before. They don't know anything about it, but they don't want to commit an entire night. So we go from seven to midnight. Uh, Like I said, I'm trying to offer and expand different events and different opportunities to experience the house um, in different ways and from as many different people as as we can attract. Yeah, I like that. That's a really good idea. So what I'll do, because I always do this for my guests, is uh, in the show notes, when this goes out on, um, it will be on YouTube and it will be on all of the, you know, audio streaming services, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all of those. I will include a link to your website there so okay. that people can just go straight to there and um, click on the link and go to your website. And then when I post this on Facebook, I will um, tag the Conjuring House in it so okay. that you can see when it goes live. And like I said, that will be on Halloween night. That's awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. So um, last question for you is what are your plans for the future of the Conjuring House? I know you explored that a little bit in the last question with um, that you're trying to explore some different events. So yeah. So I mean, same idea, continuing to expand. We're going to be also offering like curated special events. We have our first wedding in November of 2023. (laughs) I think that is fantastic. I'm gonna get the barn renovated in shape so that we can host events in there and use that as as an event space and let people, uh, you know, ghost hunt in the barn. We aren't able to give anyone access now because it's in such bad shape. So those are some of the immediate things to just expand into special events 
and get the barn renovated to open that up for usage. But the idea is to continue the business model as we are um, for certainly the, the way ahead foreseeable future. you bring that up. I am actually an event coordinator for a local historical society here. So that is totally my gig with setting up. They don't do anything paranormal, which yeah. they did, but um, setting up community events and, you know, wedding. We have a venue that we rent for weddings and meetings and business get-togethers and stuff like that. So that is really so cool. Who do you work for? What is this again? Um, I work for the Ashland County Historical Society. Okay. It's in North Central Ohio. They're just a little nonprofit organization that got a um, decent endowment from a family in town that passed away. And so we've been able to expand and uh, most historical societies are volunteer based and we have yeah. five full-time staff members and two part-timers. That's amazing. So. That's cool. That's, that's amazing. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's adventure. It's, the same thing without the ghost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, do you have anything else that you wanted to talk about tonight that I didn't bring up that maybe you wanted to clarify or mention? No, I think you pretty much you pretty much covered. The only other thing I would I'm going to give a plug to Andrea Perrin here. If no one has, if you haven't read yet her trilogy of books, House of Darkness, House of Light, they are outst outstanding accounts of their time at the conjuring house and their 10 year uh, tenure there and goes into great detail of what happened to them during that time so i would encourage if uh, you're not getting enough of the conjuring house to read those books and really get a rounded view of of its history that's a great suggestion and i just saw her she was up here for parasycon um mm -hmm. in may and i just met her and got a picture with her she is a very sweet woman and i i do need to read her books because yeah she's wonderful yeah she is great well, well thank, thank you, you for having me you're very welcome thanks for your time i really appreciate it because it really was a pleasure chatting with you um, about the farm on round top road having been there and so excited about my experience there and um, I look forward to, you know, staying yeah. in touch. And if you get any more answers about. Yeah, I'm going to try and see if I can find out about the two boys that drowned. See what yeah. I can tell you. Yeah. And you'll have I... to come back to visit us. I certainly will. <laughs> it was like a 12, about a 12 hour journey for us that we broke up into several days. But I'll tell you, it was worth every, every minute it took to get there. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Enjoy the rest of your night. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Okay, bye-bye. So tune in to our next episode to hear about the weird, creepy, and unexplained experiences that we had at The Conjuring House. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite streaming service. I'm Sydney Miller, and this was Not Afraid.